How's everyone doing this morning? Great. Great, grand, wonderful. That is good to know. Uh, I don't know how many people knew this. I got a lovely Christmas present from my wife. It's a soda stream. I don't know if you know what a soda stream is. It's basically just a way of making your own soda from home, which is kind of nice for me because then like the syrups that you can buy from the store, a lot fewer ingredients in them than the ones that you would just buy manufactured, you know, from the bottling companies. And essentially I just got this little bottle and I fill it up with water, stick it inside this little soda stream and it's got like a carbonation. It's basically a CO2 canister you know, so like a paintball canister that's setting in here and push a button a few times and it makes fizzy water. So it gives me bubbles. And I don't know why, but I, I just like carbonated water. Like it doesn't even have to have flavor. Like, you know, the, the LaCroix or the, uh, the Michael Bublé's, I mean, wait, Bubbly's, um, or a Perrier, you know, any type of that, just the sparkling waters. I enjoy it has very little flavor in it. It's just kind of like a, a smell. It's a flavor essence, so to speak. I enjoy that stuff. But with carbonated beverages, there becomes this little bit of a risk factor. And I have experienced this almost every single time because you stick the canister in, you, you push the button five times to make it extra fizzy. And then you pull it out and you pour your little syrup in. You measure out how much you want. I usually do the lowest setting so it's not too sweet. Put the lid back on and then you're supposed to rock it back and forth so that it mixes together. You know what happens when you rock back and forth a carbonated beverage? As soon as you open up the lid, and it never fails. Like every single time I have to clean up a mess. Every single time. I think I just need to like leave it on the counter for a little while and just let it kind of mellow out just a bit. I just struggle with patience sometimes and I want it and I want it right now. And so what happens is that I, I mix this up and all of a sudden it creates a big mess. As I was doing that this week and preparing for this message, all of a sudden God kind of showed me how my little carbonated beverage that gets kind of shaken up and you're putting all of this carbonation in it, it makes a bigger mess. Just like our anger can create a big mess in our life of unforgiveness. I mean, just show of hands, have you ever been angry with a family member? Okay, so I'm preaching to the right crowd here. <laughs> Let me take this a step further. Have you ever held a grudge with someone? A grudge, you know, it's that feeling of kind of resenting them because they have wronged you in the past. And it's like, I just don't want to let that go. Well, see, the problem with us doing this is that holding on to that grudge, <clears throat> holding on to our anger will lead us to a place of unforgiveness and that creates a bigger mess than if we had just dealt with the anger in the first place. It's like it, it creates a bigger mess with my little fizzy water than if I hadn't carbonated it as much or if I just dealt with it in the appropriate manner. You know, like an appropriate manner would be loosen the cap ever so gently. So you hear some of it start to come out and do that little rather than the 
And it's just dealing with it in the right way prevents a mess from happening. If we deal with our anger in a proper way, then we won't have a mess of unforgiveness on our hands. We've been doing this little series that we're calling Healthy Habits for Relationships. And, you know, last week we were talking about humility, about how we really need to be humble and have that kind of proper approach on things. But this week I want us to look at forgiveness. Because for a healthy relationship to happen, we have to be quick to forgive. We have to be very quick to forgive people that have wronged us. And we also have to be very quick to give people that we have wronged the opportunity to forgive us. The Apostle Paul kind of writes this this beautiful letter. It's one of my favorite Paul's writings, and it's Ephesians. And I think that 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 entire book of Ephesians is probably the best one for the New Testament church today because there's just so many nuggets of power and truth that lie in this. And even this passage that we're going to look at in from like verse 25 through 32, even that passage, I think I've done a dozen different messages on different themes from that one passage. And today it might be another different one. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 25. And I'm going to have some other scriptures that we'll bounce back and forth through uh, throughout this message. But I want you to just kind of stay in Ephesians. And we'll be able to pull up the other passages here. If you want to take notes, write those down. You can check them out later. Uh, But I want you to be able to at least stay in Ephesians if you can. If you just want to bookmark it and then kind of flip back and forth, that's fine. I just don't want you to lose your place there in Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 4 is what we want to look at. And we're going to start here with verse 25 and just read down through verse 32 through the end of this chapter. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The power that I see in, in this is really kind of centered in verse 26. I think 26 really kind of summarizes this this message up where we are to be angry and don't sin. Be angry and don't sin. If you want to take notes, if you want me to give you three points for the day, here's the first point. Be angry. That's right. I, I just said that. I mean, is it kind of odd and a little bit different? Does it shock you or maybe surprise you to hear a sermon that's telling you to be angry? Is it a little strange or surprising to read a scripture that doesn't say, don't have conflict? (laughs) It's like, it doesn't say that. 
It's not saying we're not going to have conflict. It's not saying don't be angry. It's actually saying be angry. Be angry. Anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. See, what God is not trying to do is he's not trying to have us swallow our emotions. That's not what he's trying to do. He doesn't want us just to swallow the emotions down. He's not saying that, and he's not telling us to ignore those emotions. Fact of the matter is, we are human beings, and we get angry. It happens. I mean, the fact of the matter is, God is not a human, and yet God gets angry. I mean, just a couple quick passages here for you. Numbers 32, 13. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generations that had done evil in his sight were gone. God's anger is like, yeah, you, you, you made me so mad. Now you got to wander in the wilderness until you die off. <laughs> Just the generation has to be gone. I mean, Deuteronomy 9.8 says also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. That's how mad they made God. He was ready to wipe them out, but he didn't. I mean, Israel made him so mad he could have wiped them out, but he didn't. He didn't destroy them. He doesn't do that. But yet God himself will get angry. We as human beings will get angry. The, the problem isn't the emotion. The problem is how we deal with the emotion. That's why he's saying in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Go ahead. Get angry. But don't sin. Don't sin. In other words, I mean, kids, you want to get angry at your parents? Get angry at your parents. But don't sin and talk back to them. Or you might see their anger aroused and a hand quickly come across the mouth. Your, your boss makes you mad. Tells you to do something that's not even in your job description. I shouldn't have to do that. Go ahead, get angry. But don't sin by running off at the mouth in front of him and telling him how much of an imbecile he is. You're going to get fired. Don't do that. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Go ahead, get angry. They almost caused you to wreck. You could have died. But don't sin and then cutting them off and jumping out of the car and letting road rage take over. Be angry. Don't sin. You see, and this isn't just the Apostle Paul saying this. I mean, if you look, you see those quotation marks around be angry and don't sin. Paul is quoting another scripture. Paul is actually quoting King David. I mean, look at this one in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Psalm 4, 4 says, be angry and don't sin. Meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. 
Now, I, I love that. The, the Hebrew word in meditate, and I've studied this through, especially because one of my favorite passages is Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night so you can see yourself doing what is written in it. I love that. But that word meditate, like the greatest picture to describe what that word meditate means is a cow chewing the cud. A cow that is pulling in their food and they just keep chewing and they just keep chewing and they just keep chewing in it and it goes down and it comes back up and they keep chewing it and chewing it until they have gotten every last bit of nutrients out of that thing. When we meditate on God's word, that's what we're supposed to do. Keep thinking on it, keep chewing on it until we've got everything that God wants us to get out of it. David is saying, be angry and don't sin, but meditate within your heart. Think about this. Think about it until you have a proper perspective on what is happening and what has happened and how you're to respond. In other words, if if you're angry and you feel like sinning, you need to meditate a little bit more. You need to think about it a little bit more because you're about to sin and that's not the proper perspective. The Apostle Paul go, or King David goes on in Psalm 37, 8, and look what he says here. He says, cease from anger, forsake wrath. It's be angry, but don't sin. Do not fret. It only causes harm. And, and that word fret, this is actually kind of a poor translation because that word fret, it, it doesn't mean what we would think, you know, fret, worry, just kind of be upset about something. The actual definition of that Hebrew word is don't let yourself get red hot with anger to the point you're about to explode. <laughs> That's what it's saying. Why? Because it only causes harm. In the same way that my little soda stream, if I let that thing stay shaken up, and I just, I'm going to let it out right now. I'm going to deal with it in an improper way. I have now caused so much harm to my countertop, and it is a sticky mess. Sometimes it's even sprayed all over my clothes. And then I have caused even more harm because I don't do laundry, and then my wife has to get it out, and now she's mad at me because I couldn't figure out how to take a lid off properly. Don't, it's the same concept. When we get red hot with anger, and we don't deal with it in a proper way because we haven't thought about it. We haven't just taken time to let the emotion come out in a proper way. All of a sudden, it's causing harm. It's making a bigger mess. So if our point one is go ahead and be angry, point two is don't sin. Don't sin. I mean, there in Ephesians 4.26, it says, be angry and do not sin don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, don't hold on to your anger. Don't hold on to it. You, you want to be able to kind of let it go. And, and you want to know why you need to let it go? The very next verse. In verse 27 of Ephesians 4, it says, Nor give place to the devil. See, what happens is when we hold on to our anger, it causes us to then sin. It causes us to open the door for Satan in our lives. 
I mean, actually, that, that word, place, there's a couple different translations of this word. It's used in different fashions. And some is talking about like a literal place. So some of it is talking about a literal place. So this would be an accurate translation. I just don't think it's a complete translation. Because the other translations will say, don't give opportunity to the devil. And actually, there's a very specific use, use of this word. In certain scriptures, it actually talks about it being a license, the permission, and the authority. What the Apostle Paul is saying, be angry, but don't sin. Because if you sin, you have opened up the door and saying, hey, devil, come on in. Let's have fun. You have given him permission. You have given him authority. You've given him the opportunity to come into your life and have his way. All because you didn't deal with your anger in a proper way, in a proper manner. We, we can't do that because when we hold on to the anger, the anger leads to this unforgiveness. And that process of holding on to the anger, causing us to sin, leading us to a place of unforgiveness, it winds up creating a safe space for the devil in our lives. We have now carved out a section of our lives that we are letting the devil operate in. All because we don't deal with the anger properly. All because we haven't done it. And yet the beauty... The beauty of what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here in Ephesians 4 is this path on how to make sure that we can be angry but not sin. And yes, here in verse 28 down through 31, he's giving a whole lot of specifics. You know, make sure your words are proper. Make sure they're not corrupt words. Make sure that your words are actually producing a necessary edification. To edify is really to encourage. So make sure your words are an encouragement, not a discouragement. Make sure your words are building people up, not tearing them down. Make sure that's what your words are doing. They have to produce something good. Otherwise, if they're not producing something good, they're being poison. And that poison is not only going to affect your life, it's going to affect the lives of others. And he summarizes all of this when he comes down to verse 32. And here's your third point. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So I love this because here he's telling us, be angry, don't sin, forgive. Be angry. Don't sin. How do we not sin when we're angry? Forgive them. It's really that simple. Forgive them. And yet, even though it is simple, it is very difficult. It is very difficult because we tend to hold on to our pain. We tend to hold on to it. And it's like, I mean, but, but God, how can I forgive them when they caused me so much pain? Here's the first thing. Remember that your sin against God caused him so much pain, it actually led to the death of Jesus. That's how painful your sin was towards God. You think your pain 
hurts that bad? Even if it does, God understands it. And what did he do? He forgave us. But God, I've got all this pain and I understand that I caused you pain, but how do I move past this? Well, you got to remember God. When it came to forgiving us, he moved first. He took the first step in forgiving. We were the ones that wronged him. He was the victim of our sin. And yet he moved first. If he moved first as the victim, shouldn't we move first? And how did God let us know that he wronged us or that we wronged him? How did he make us aware that we had hurt him? He told us. He told us. Even going back to Adam in the garden, he told him. He's like, hey, everything here in the garden, it's all yours. Do what you want with it. You can have it all, except for this one thing. Do not touch any fruit that comes from this tree. Don't do it. You can't have this one. It's mine. If you do that, I'm telling you right now, on the day you do that, you'll die. And he's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. He's talking about the condition that happens when we have wronged God is that we are apart from him. We have separated ourselves from him. And he's telling him, don't do this. Because the moment you do that, you have sinned against me. The moment you do that, you're separated from me. And I can't be with you anymore. I am a holy being and you have made yourself unholy. We can't be in the same place. Please don't do that. And Adam did it. And Eve did it. And God's response, as soon as it happened, he's like, what did you do? And they felt the shame. And they went and hid. See, the crazy part is, we don't even need this to tell us when we've done something wrong. Inside each and every one of us, we know Just genetically, naturally, God has wired us in such a way that we sin, we know we've done wrong. And if you've ever doubted that, look at animals, look at infants. When a baby does something they're not supposed to do and you catch them doing it, they're instantly ashamed and they're trying to hide. You walk back in with a dog and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Do you think the dog understands the uh uh-oh? No, they just heard a sound, but they knew they did something wrong. And what do they do? They they cower and they're ashamed. Mm -hmm. How are we wired that way? Because God wired us that way. And just in case we can't listen to our own like spirit that cries out when we've done something wrong, he then gives us these things. He tells us throughout all of Scripture. I mean, Romans is very clear. Romans 3.23 All of you have sinned and you've fallen short of God's glory. It's all happened. But then what is it? Ephesians, I don't know, or no, it's Romans 5, 5, 20, 20 something, I can't remember. Maybe 5, 23 it says, but yet while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love towards us. And he offered up his son as a sacrifice. We were still in a position of wronging God offending God, making God the victim of our sins. And yet he moves towards us and he's like, I forgive you. You just have to accept my forgiveness. He offered the forgiveness before we even apologized. 
<laughs> Can we understand that? If you want to do what Ephesians 5.32 says, that we're to forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you, you've got to be so quick to forgive somebody that before they even ask for your forgiveness, you're already offering it. That's how we start to forgive the way that God has forgiven. See, when we will understand the truth, understand the truth that we are forgiven by God, it will enable us to forgive others. Because forgiven people will forgive people. It happens. God is able to then help us throughout all of this because he has set the example for us. Forgiven people forgive people. Unforgiven people won't forgive people. And if you don't believe that, just listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. If you refuse to give others, your father will not forgive your sins. If that doesn't scare the hell out of you, I don't know what will. And, I'm, and the reason I'm saying scare the hell out of you is because if you're unforgiving people, remember, you've opened the door and let the devil come in. You've got a little bit of hell in your life and you need to get rid of it. Let this thing scare you in such a way that you're afraid of wronging God. You're having a reverential fear. I mean, a lot of people will say that fear is a horrible motivator. If they say that fear is a horrible motivator, they've never had the right fear put on them. Boy, you better straighten up or I'm going to go tell your grandpa and he'll make you get a switch. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> mm. First time I feel that punishment. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. Don't want it. If we're not forgiven by God, you know where we're going? Hell. If we're not forgiven. <laughs> forgiven people forgive people. There was this research here at Brigham Young University. They studied the impacts of withholding forgiveness. And what they found is that when we hold in forgiveness, this goes beyond just the spiritual component of a separation from God, a physical component. When we do not forgive, ulcers, gastritis, IBS, all become a result when somebody refuses to forgive. your body will start to break down on you because you won't forgive. It's not just your spirit breaking down on you. It's your body breaking down on you. And guess what else? Your mind will break down on you. You will be a prisoner of your own thoughts. In an article titled, uh, Families That Forgive by Cornerstone Christian Counseling, they said this, When couples and families fail to forgive, unequal relationships are created and maintained. True closeness is an impossibility because the offended is in a position of holding the offender in bondage. And the obsession with being wrong and seeking revenge holds the victim in bondage as well. See, if, if we're the victim 
of an offense that somebody has done against us and we want to hold on to that because somehow it makes us feel powerful and I, I'm, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my revenge on them. They're going to get what's coming to them. They should have known better. You, you don't get away with wronging me like that. No. All of a sudden what we do is we then become so consumed with that thought that we no longer have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ that says, you spit on me, you whipped me, you threw a crown of thorns on my heads, you mocked me, you hoisted me up on a cross, piercing my hands, piercing my feet, piercing my side, and left me to die. I forgive you because I love you. See, that's the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ says, your action against me will not determine my action towards you. I'm going to love you regardless of how you treat me. The mind of Christ, the forgiveness of God says, I'm going to forgive you no matter what you have done to me. You've lied about me. You've mocked me. You've denied me. You've cursed me. I forgive you. When we think about that, if we really understand that, how can we then hold on to this unforgiveness? And if we're going to be really honest with ourselves and the relationships that we have, a lot of this unforgiveness that we hold on to is petty. It's stupid little things that pale in the comparison to what we've done against God. It pales in the comparison. I mean, there are parents that will sit there and say, I don't know how I can ever get past what my child did. And I have heard these parents that they say their child made such a big mistake. But it was often like crimes that they committed. The mistake wasn't even against them. The only impact that it had on them was, I don't know, maybe tarnishing their reputation? Maybe people look at you a little bit different and question whether or not you could raise a child right. And if that's the case, well, they just failed to realize that children are kind of like these little monsters that we just do our best with and we hope they turn out okay. But they're their own beings and they have to make their own decisions. We can guide them as much as they want. You know, we can lead the horse to water, but we can't make it drink. Hey, what, have, what have they done? And even when it does become a big offense, even when it does become a big offense, and Genevieve and I have experienced this with like major offenses in our marriage, the major offenses can be miraculously healed by a simple declaration that comes from your heart that says, I forgive you. I don't need to keep a record of all of the wrongs because love doesn't do that. All I need to do is acknowledge that you wronged me and I forgive you. You see, when we're honest in that fashion, that's how the healthy relationships are maintained. As parents, we've got this obligation to teach our children. The best way to teach them is to model the behavior. It's to show them what it looks like to forgive. And I've done that with all of my children. Stupid things that I have done. Little mistakes that wronged them. And it was like in the big scheme, I mean, really? They, I said, if this, this, and this happens, then we will go here and get that. They didn't hear the if this, this, and this happened. They just heard we will go and get that. 
And we didn't go and get that because this, this, and this happened. didn't happen. And they're upset. And they're mad at me. They're, they're mad at me because I have wronged them. You know what I do? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And now I've put them in the position to be able to forgive. And in the same way where they do wrong me because they disobey. And I let them know, hey, you wronged me. Just like God has let us know, hey, you wronged me. And I'm like, I told you to do this and you didn't do that and that hurt me. And when you address that, not just with kids, but with people, the typical response is, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. That's okay, I forgive you. Or if you don't want to say that's okay because it's not okay, be like, I understand, I forgive you. Or, thank you. I forgive you. It's not any more complicated than that. When we think about how God forgave us, he's like, I've done all the heavy lifting. I've done all the hard work. I went to the cross and back. All you need to do is say, I'll receive it. Thank you. See, forgiven people forgive people. And if we think about how we need to be able to model this behavior, not just with our kids, but with our other family members, with every relationship that we've had, I've done this even just this year at work. Because I think I told you guys occasionally I, I do things that I, I shouldn't do. And even when I didn't know it was wrong, like they shut down Main Street. They had construction going there. You, you know what? As a bus driver, we're supposed to provide the safest route to and from. And construction zones are not a safe route. If you can get around a construction zone, go around a construction zone. So what do I do? I go around. I detoured and I go to the high school and I just drove all the way around the high school. I actually went farther out of my way. But apparently, somebody at the high school was offended that this big yellow bus went there and they didn't realize a big yellow bus was going to be there and I scared them and they got upset and they called my boss and he gets over the radio and he starts, you know, yelling at us. And what do I do as soon as I walk back in? I'm like, hey, I, I just want to apologize. And he's like, no, 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 I need to apologize because I shouldn't have flown off the handle like that. And I was like, no, hold on. You've created a specific route for us to go. I thought I would take a different approach. I didn't ask permission. I didn't think about how it would affect you or how it could have bothered somebody else. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It's <laughs> just floored him. You know what he did? Well, yeah, absolutely. But will you forgive me for you know, running off at the mouth and getting angry with you? absolutely. I modeled the behavior to somebody that is older than me. And it was so quickly responded that he did the exact same thing. See, Paul not only gives us this, this method of how to forgive, and he tells us, you know, be angry, don't sin. And in verse 32, you catch it back up. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. But what happens if we look at the very next verse? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. He's telling us this forgiving concept, all you need to do is imitate what God did. If he forgave you, Forgive others. 
When God forgave us, what happened to our relationship? It became healthy. We were no longer separated from him. The issue had been resolved because of forgiveness. You want a healthy habit for your relationships? Forgive people. That resolves the issue and the relationship can then be healthy. It's the method that God used. It's the method that we should use. Because forgiven people will forgive people. Let's pray.